welcome back to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, this is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. Welcome to Endopod's revision series. Each episode will cover bite-sized revision material for those preparing for exams or even just for those who are interested in learning the basics of endocrinology. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the pituitary gland and in particular what happens when it overfunctions. The pituitary gland is a very complex structure and a lot of things can go wrong in our bodies when it functions abnormally. There are three main conditions that can result from the hyperfunctioning of the gland and these are acromegaly, Cushing's disease and hyperprolactinemia. During this episode, we're going to be exploring both acromegaly and hyperprolactinemia, including their causes, symptoms, signs, diagnosis and treatment. Cushing's disease is already covered in the adrenal gland episodes, so make sure to check that out. Before we go into the clinical side of things, we need to understand the physiology behind the gland. And this is provided in more detail in a previous podcast, but I'll give you a brief overview for now. The pituitary gland is a small endocrine gland located in the sphenoid bone, just below the hypothalamus. It is split into two parts, the anterior and the posterior pituitary. The part of the gland involved in the conditions we're going to look at is the anterior pituitary. This makes up two-thirds of the gland and secretes classical endocrine hormones. The production of these hormones is controlled by other hormones that are released from the hypothalamus called trophic hormones, which either stimulate or inhibit hormone production from the anterior pituitary. The main hormones we're going to be focusing on today are growth hormone and prolactin. Let's start with acromegaly. This results due to the hypersecretion of growth hormone from the anterior pituitary after the epiphyseal plates have sealed. It is a rare condition with only around 4 to 6 million cases per million of the population being diagnosed each year. Acromegaly affects both males and females in equal numbers and is usually diagnosed in adults aged 30 to 50, but it can affect people of any age. Just a side note, when excess growth hormone is secreted in children before closure of epiphyseal plates, the clinical condition is gigantism. It causes excessive growth in height and muscles, making the child extremely tall for their age. So the mechanism behind acromegaly, we need to understand the growth hormone function. Growth hormone is involved in many different physiological processes in the body, including playing an important role in managing physical growth. When it's secreted into the bloodstream, it signals the liver to produce a hormone called insulin-like growth factor 1, or IGF-1. IGF-1 then stimulates the growth of bone, cartilage and other tissues. However, in acromegaly, because the pituitary gland secretes too much growth hormone, it results in excessive amounts of IGF-1. Too much IGF-1 causes abnormal growth of tissues in our body, so it results in characteristic signs and symptoms of acromegaly. High levels of IGF-1 also cause changes in how the body processes glucose and lipids, which can lead to complications such as type 2 diabetes, hypertension and heart disease. So what causes this excess secretion of growth hormone? In the majority, that's over 95% of cases, acromegaly is caused by a benign tumour in the pituitary gland called the pituitary adenoma. The tumour secretes excessive amounts of growth hormone and can also press on nearby brain tissues, resulting in other symptoms such as headaches. These adenomas usually develop spontaneously because of a genetic change in the cell in the pituitary gland, but roughly 5% are associated with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1. In rare cases, acromegaly is caused by too much growth hormone-releasing hormone, which then stimulates the pituitary gland to release excess growth hormone. 
This can either be due to a problem in the hypothalamus where growth hormone releasing hormone is made, or due to a tumour in another part of the body such as the lungs or pancreas which secrete growth hormone releasing hormone. Now that we know what acromegaly is, what are its signs and symptoms? Some of the major characteristic features of acromegaly are those due to soft tissue overgrowth and these include enlarged spade-like hands and feet growth. People with this condition often notice that they can put on rings that used to fit and that their shoe size has increased. Some other signs and symptoms are coarse facial features, thick lips and tongues and widely spaced teeth as well as carpal tunnel syndrome and sweating. Patients with acromegaly may also present with complications caused by the condition. These include headaches, hypertension, sleep apnea, accelerated osteoarthritis, diabetes and bitemporal hemianopia due to compression of the optic chiasm. Because acromegaly generally progresses slowly, the early signs might not become obvious for years and sometimes people only notice the condition by comparing old photographs with newer ones. So how is a diagnosis of acromegaly made? The first step is usually a blood test. If it's found that levels of IGF-1 are raised, it's suggestive of acromegaly. IGF-1 is used rather than growth hormone because growth hormone is secreted in spurts and levels can vary widely throughout the day. However, for a definitive diagnosis, a growth hormone suppression test called an oral glucose tolerance test is used. In this test, growth hormone levels are measured before and after drinking a solution of glucose. Normally, glucose depresses levels of growth hormone, but in acromegaly, the growth hormone level will still stay high. After these blood tests, an MRI scan of the brain may be performed to look for the presence of and size of the tumour in the pituitary gland. Additional tests that may be carried out to assess the extent of acromegaly include an ECG and testing of the visual fields in acuity. Once a diagnosis of acromegaly is confirmed, how do we go about treating it? Well, there are a few different options here and mainly comes down to a divide between either surgery or medical management. To focus on surgery to begin with, the first-line treatment option for acromegaly caused by pituitary tumour is excision of the lesion via transphenoidal surgery. Removing the tumour can normalise growth hormone production and eliminate the pressure on the surrounding tissues to relieve associated symptoms and signs. However, if surgery is not possible or the entire tumour cannot be removed, there is the option of medical management. This is a second-line option in someone with acromegaly due to a pituitary lesion and is usually with somatostatin analogues like ocreotide or lanreotide. These are given as monthly slow-release injections and they have been found to induce tumour shrinkage in the majority of patients, as well as normal growth hormone and IGF-1 level, IGF levels in over 50% of patients. If a patient is resistant or intolerant to somatostatin analogues, growth hormone receptor antagonists or dopamine agonists can be used instead. One final treatment option is radiotherapy. This is mostly used if a patient is unsuited to surgery or as an adjuvant treatment alongside surgery, but it may take years to work and generally it is used, its use is declining. the second part of this episode where we're looking at hyperprolactinemia. This is the most common form of hyperpituitarism and occurs due to excess secretion of prolactin. Hyperprolactinemia affects many more females than males and roughly 0.4% of the general population. To understand the mechanism behind the condition, we first need to look at the function of prolactin. Its main function is to stimulate and maintain lactation after childbirth, so high prolactin levels are normal in pregnancy. 
However, prolactin also exerts metabolic effects and affects levels of sex hormones, estrogen and testosterone in both men and women. Raised levels of prolactin inhibit secretion of gonadotropin releasing hormone from the hypothalamus, and this lowers levels of luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone, as well as testosterone and estrogen. This then results in the signs and symptoms of hyperprolactinemia such as hypogonadism and infertility. Now let's look at the causes of hyperprolactinemia. One common cause, which accounts for almost 50% of cases, is a benign tumour in the pituitary gland called a prolactinoma, which produces high levels of prolactin. Tumours smaller than 10mm are called microprolactinomas, and tumours greater than 10mm are called macroprolactinomas. Other causes are pregnancy and lactation, in which hyperprolactinemia is normal, as well as hypothyroidism, hypothalamic diseases, and chronic liver or kidney diseases. There, there are also quite a few medications that can cause hyperprolactinemia, including estrogens, some antidepressants and antipsychotics, dopamine antagonists like chlorpromazine. Moving on to the signs and symptoms. The first important thing to know is that there is a difference in presentation between men and women because the condition often presents later in men. This means that men generally present with one of the most compressive features due to a pituitary tumour. These compressive features are headaches, visual field abnormalities and extraocular muscle weakness. Men can also have other symptoms due to decreased testosterone and these include osteoporosis, erectile dysfunction, gynecomastia and decreased facial hair. Galactoria due to increased prolactin is rare in men, occurring in less than 5%. As for, as for women, a far larger number will present with galactoria, anywhere between 30 and 80%. They may also have menstrual irregularity, decreased libido, and weight gain. So for a diagnosis of hyperprolactinemia, a blood test to measure basal prolactin levels is required. If levels are found to be high, more tests including thyroid hormone levels and a pregnancy test are usually done to try and detect the cause of hyperprolactinemia. If a prolactinoma is suspected, an MRI of the brain is carried out to look for this. The next step is to find out how to treat it. Treatment is mostly focused on returning prolactin levels to normal and generally depends on the cause of the condition. Medical treatment with dopamine agonists such as bromocryptine or cabergoline is the first line of treatment, even in a prolactinoma. Dopamine depresses the secretion of prolactin and can also induce tumour shrinkage and recovery of pituitary function. If a prolactinoma fails to respond to medical treatment or a patient is intolerant to dopamine agonists, transphenoidal surgery then may be performed to resect the tumour. However, this comes with risks of recurrence and permanent hormone deficiency. In other circumstances, the underlying cause can be treated such as stopping or lowering the dose of a causative drug or treating hypothyroidism. this episode on pituitary hyperfunction. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. Keep up to date with our social media to figure out what we're up to and we're always grateful for the feedback. Before I go, I want to say thank you to Arabella Bapti who was involved in the making of this episode. Stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier signing off.